Blog Talk Radio. And of course, I hit it. There we go. <laughs> Five seconds. <laughs> Not bad. Welcome to Beach State Pandemonium, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network, where we take you down memory lane for a look at professional wrestling the way it used to be, with conversations from those who paved the way. And now, the GWH Radio Network presents Beach State Pandemonium. Good evening, and here's Mike Norris. Welcome to Beach State Pandemonium for Thursday, August 4th, 2016. This is Michael Norris, and along with Jay West, we have anybody else? Uh, no, there's uh, none of the other rest of the crew have uh, have called in yet, and we don't have a mobile report yet, so it's uh, it's it's you and me right now. Right, <laughs> Too right. bad we didn't have a subject matter tonight. <laughs> 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 and uh, I I you know I I try to report on something out of Dave Meltzer's uh, publication that I get every every week and. Uh, really, there's nothing going on right there. Let me see. We got somebody calling in. Uh, uh, nope. I'll just do my little dance here while you. Uh, oh, we got some. Uh, we weren't on the air last last week. I was going to mention it. Uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, Skinny Kenny Arden, who was a uh, a local Tennessee guy who worked a lot Tennessee, North North Georgia. Um, Various other places. Uh, he passed away uh, last week, uh, the day be- I think the day before our show. Um, Kenny was a he was a crazy guy. He was um, never never a big name in the business. He was trained by Tojo Yamamoto, broke into the business in mid eighties, and uh, like I said, was around for a long time. And uh, right was uh was a very good uh very good heel. He could get uh get heat and you could tell by his name, Skinny Kenny, he weighed three hundred pounds. That was part of <laughs> no, that was part of his gimmick, you know. And, right. uh you know, he would brag about how beautiful he was when he was uh, you know, this big uh heavy set guy, but uh good worker, good worker. Like I said, great heel, he could get heat and uh I'd I was I was around Kenny a little bit around he would he would come to Mobile to the reunions there, and he would. Uh, he was it seemed like he was at all the Ted Allen uh, shows, and was at various you know shows around Metro Atlanta. But uh, but funny guy, funny guy. And, uh, uh, Bobby's on the air now with us. All righty. Sorry guys, Randy's been down here all day. We've been working on door casings in my house, and uh, I had to uh, just break away and leave him and come do this. Not a problem. Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, Kenny. Kenny's gimmick, gimmick. Kenny wore a T-shirt to the ring, and he always wore a T-shirt that says "I hate fat people." And he and he had a, and he would tote a DVD with him, and the DVD was uh, Kenny Arden's weight loss program or something. And he would, you know, he would do his interviews, and you know, uh, this is how we should you should uh, lose weight. You should buy my program, and <laughs> he's a funny guy. And uh, we lost. Uh... Somebody, I don't know if it was today or yesterday, but uh, Jean Antone passed away. She's been sick for in and out of the hospital quite a bit uh, here in the last several months. But uh, her daughter posted on Facebook today that uh, she passed away. What a sweet lady she was. Never met her, you know, face-to-face, but uh, 
have been <clears throat> corresponding with her back and forth for a year or so on Facebook. Um, nice lady, though. Nice lady was was a was well known all over the place, but probably best known in. Uh, and I'm sure Jerry, when Jerry gets on with us, he'll know that uh, uh, in the Central States area, um, she and Betty Nikolai were the uh, were Bob Geigel's resident uh, lady wrestlers, and they worked together and wrestled each other probably as much as Bobo Brazil and the Sheik and Darlin' <laughs> Dagmar and Diamond Leo did. <clears throat> but the funny thing about it, uh, her was she was uh, a local girl to the Gulf Coast Territory. She was, was born and raised in, in Laurel, Mississippi, and uh she was always billed as being from New Orleans, but she was actually from Laurel, Mississippi. And on November 6, 1961, uh, she got married in the ring in Laurel, Mississippi, her hometown. Hmm. Uh, and the uh, the promoter, even that was that was part of Lee Fields' territory, but the local promoter there was a former wrestler by the name of Ray Andrews. And he gave the uh, bride and groom a whopping gift of fifty dollars for their their wedding gift. Of course, he probably took it out of her pay. So, <laughs> what year was that? What year was that? Nineteen sixty-one. November sixth, nineteen sixty-one. And she married a guy by the name of Billy Joe. Let me think. McLean or McLean was his name. Billy Joe McLean. He wasn't in the wrestling business. I'm not sure what he did, but but uh, she wound up uh, sometime in the mid to late '60s. She wound up in in Missouri, and uh, that's where she stayed the the rest of her career. Um, but she was back in Mississippi in a, in a um, nursing facility when she passed away. She was. Uh, they called her. Her nickname was Little Miss Dynamite, and, I, and I've I've seen her described also as the Brenda Lee of uh, of the wrestling business. And she was she was four foot eleven, mm-hmm. and she called herself a gidget. She was was uh, too too big to be a midget and too short to be a girl. So she called herself a gidget. <laughs> Well, they uh, we uh, uh, took a road trip Saturday. Uh, me and Randy rode to rode down to uh, and uh, his wife and my friend uh, Linda. We rode down to uh, Savannah, like we had good sense, and uh, rode out to Tabby Island, looked at the water, and turned around, and came home. <laughs> But we had a we had a good time. So how long did you actually stay there on the island after making that trip? Well, we actually let's see. We stopped and ate breakfast in Dublin, Georgia, about I don't know, a little before ten. We got to Savannah about twelve thirty, rode out to the island, we rode around out there, we stayed out there about an hour, maybe an hour and a half, I'm not even sure how long we was out there. Came back into Savannah and uh Randy's wife wanted to go to a candy shop down on River Street there in Savannah. So, I mean, all of this was new. I had not, 
I mean, I had not been to Savannah in probably 30 years or more. Mm-hmm. So we we went over and uh, uh, let them out, and they went in the candy store. Me and Randy rode around the block two or three times. And uh, we uh, we had uh, uh, Randy's wife said, how far is it to Jekyll Island? I said, well, I don't know. So we got on the expressway <laughs> and drove down to Jekyll Island. And we uh, rode out on Jekyll. We stayed out there about an hour, I guess. And then we uh, we headed back. It was an all-day trip. And yes. All right. So but we had a good time. Randy is leaving to go home. He said, tell everybody hello. <laughs> and bye. So we're... Uh, so he's, he's finished up your floor now, Bob? Floor's done, yeah. The floor's, floor's been finished for a while. We're... Uh, uh, the door casings, where uh, my cat used them for scratching post, mm-hmm. I'm getting ready to paint the uh, the living room and the dining room and the interior hallways, and uh, where he had scratched it up so bad, uh, they needed to be replaced. So we've been replacing door casings today, and we're gonna we ran into a couple of door jams that were in bad shape. So we've just been we've been piddling all day and. We'll finish up sometime tomorrow, hopefully. So well, you just turned into a regular old Mr. Wheeler, haven't you? you well, the inside of your house is going to look so good, you're going to, have to do something in your yard next. If I got news for you, I can't think of anything that's going to make me get out and play in the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just—I've never, you know, and I've been in the house 16 years. I've never painted. Uh, just I've never. We don't. We didn't smoke in the house, so I haven't felt the need, but. The door facings got scratched up. Punk was, God love him. He, uh, that was the only thing he did was, was scratch the door facings. And uh, if I could have him back, he could scratch the whole house. I wouldn't care. That's, but, I, that's what I was going to say. Did you feel bad about replacing them? No, no, not now. He's been gone. He's been gone two years, and I and I, I just uh, I still miss him. God knows I miss that cat, which is. People that are not pet lovers, they don't understand. But but I mean, he was like my kid. So, uh, but uh, no, I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. I'm just uh, uh, just try. I think Debbie would be happy with the things I'm doing. So that's the way I look at it, and keep keep plugging away. So Jerry, gonna join us later tonight. Well, I, I keep coming, so I'm not, not I'm, sure. Uh, looking, a... I'm looking for his number to come up. Uh, he doesn't have a. I mean, he's, as far as you know, there's no change in his phone number, right? No, 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 no. Okay, so, so I'm uh, I'm uh, monitoring it, but uh, we don't have anything. I was going to look for him when we were down there the other day, but I think he gets off at three o'clock or sometime in the afternoon. And we were out there when we were out there. It was like I don't know two o'clock. I had no idea where he was. I left my phone at home, which I, I was upset I left it at home, but I was kind of glad I did because it was nice not having it all day. And uh, I didn't have any way to call him, so. Yeah, we're going to have to plan a trip, the three of us, to go down there and and, and pay him a visit, Jay. <laughs> That's right. Do the, we could do the show from there. Yeah. <laughs> Could yeah. do that. We've never done a show with Hall Forbes. That'd be good. 
tell him what time to have dinner ready. We could eat together. And, you know, uh, have, have have alligator stew. Yeah, I'm I'm sure Kathy would love us for that. Yes, she would. I'm sure. She'll be sharpening those skate blades and, and chasing us all out of there. <laughs> Oh man! Well, you guys uh, looking forward to the Olympics starting tomorrow? I didn't even realize that they were starting. That this year year was even an Olympic year till I started seeing things on Facebook about it. Yeah, well, the thing I'm the thing I'm interested about. I want to see how many people die from drinking the water, or, or you know, I mean, it's really bad down there the way everybody's talking. Well, I believe right this year. Yeah. I've looked at some reports that say it's very, very dangerous, and other things say, oh, you know, it could be very mild, and you can't. So, you know, it depends on who you're uh, who you're talking to or whose news reports you're getting. Uh, you know, the last time I was uh, interested in the Olympics was '96, really. Uh, you know, it used to be when we didn't have all these cable channels and everything else, and whoever had the uh, the rights to the the Olympics. Uh, they would uh, they would run boxing, uh, you know. They'd have the uh, Greco-Roman wrestling and and, right. and the the freestyle, uh, several other events, and uh, and now if they have anything at all, you know, and they took away most of the wrestling, but uh, it's it's on at three o'clock in the morning and it's on one of their uh, you know one of their uh, sub cable networks that. Uh, uh, that, that nobody really watches, and you know, if you if you love this lo, love the swimming, uh, you know, then uh, you're you're going to have a lot of fun watching that. But out, outside of that, uh, <laughs> swimming you know, and it's, diving, it, I mean. yeah, it's uh, there's really not a lot to see anymore. But between getting rid of the uh, Republican and the Democratic uh, convention, and and then going into uh, the Olympics here for two weeks, it's. Uh, uh, you know the other networks don't like to program anything, even though you're in the reruns element during the summer. The other networks don't like to program anything, you know, heavy or new or anything like that uh, to compete when they figure somebody's going to be. Uh, most of your audience is going to be watching that, uh, so it's a pretty dry time on TV. That's when uh, we catch up on some of the shows that you know we didn't see during the winter. Uh, and uh, we just finished watching 22 hours of uh, Blind Spot, and uh, so at any rate, not not in one night, you know, in several days. But uh, uh, so anyway, we're ready for that to start in September or October, whenever it starts again. Well, that's why I have Netflix and Amazon Video and Hulu, so I can binge watch. I've been, I've been watching I've... James Bond movies the last week, you know, helping him save the world. Uh, <laughs> And then, and then I recently it came into my possession the entire Untouchables TV series, mm-hmm. which which I like. So I've been watching some of those too. I've, I've been watching uh, Jackie Chan movies. I finished all I've my Jackie all, Chan movies. Now I'm watching uh, Chow Yun Fat movies. I've got an all region uh, DVD player, and uh, sometimes I'll buy a few things that are British that. Uh, uh, are only in the region too, and you know Amazon will carry them sometimes. But I've, I've also, uh, you know, I've also got uh, a, uh, I'm set up with Amazon in Canada, and in the UK. So you know, if there's something there that, uh, that I want that uh, is region two, uh, even though Canada's region one, 
but uh, UK's region two, then uh, I've got a got a player. They're not very expensive. Uh, you, uh, Amazon doesn't promote them a lot, but uh, you can get the all region players pretty cheap. Yeah, I think my Blu-ray players, both of my Blu-ray players are region free because mm-hmm. I've got a uh, I've got a Hong Kong a movie that was made in Hong Kong um, called The Founding of a Nation, and um, <clears throat> it's uh, it's it's Chinese. I mean, it's it's, uh, but I bought it. It's not even available in the uh, U.S. I don't. Know, I bought it on Amazon. And uh, but I bought it through a through an American dealer because I paid uh, in in American money for it. But the reason I got it um, mainly for the history of it, but also it's the only movie that's got Jackie Chan, Jet Li, Chow Yun Fat, and and uh, Donnie Yen all four in it, which is the four biggest you know Asian stars outside of Bruce Lee. So it's it's just a, a unique thing. Plus, it's an enjoyable if you like to sit and read um, subtitles. <laughs> See, I love Kurosawa. I'm a big uh, fan of Kurosawa. You know, Seven Samurai and Yojimbo and and all those those movies. But uh, it's hard <clears throat> it's hard to keep up with them having to read the the subtitles but I don't mind. I'm I'm nuts about silent movies too, so it's the same way. Well I got Kung Fu Panda but I'm not sure if that's Chinese or, or uh, <laughs> I, I that may be more Zoo Atlanta. I don't know. Oh but, I, I don't know. It's I took my grandson, we went and seen the original Kung Fu Panda and I thought it was a pretty good movie so it has enough adult humor in it because John Black plays the Kung Fu Panda that uh, it's uh, it's entertaining. Well, let's see. We've been on, uh, what, uh, uh, almost 20 minutes now, and uh, we haven't uh, really discussed a whole You did start out with a little bit of wrestling there, Mike, but uh, uh, we got Dennis Mitchell here, so let's see if he can uh, upgrade the conversation a little bit. Put Dennis on. <laughs> yeah. Dennis, you there? Guys, how y'all doing today? Good. Well, all right, how Dennis. We we need a little somebody fun. to talk a little wrestling. I'm gonna try to, and I'll ask okay. my questions later <laughs> for I let y'all guys go, which I appreciate it. Well, guys, I want to ask you about a guy that was a wrestling announcer up in Calgary, Canada. Did y'all ever have the pleasure of meeting Mr. Ed Whalen? I never, never did. met him. I know who he is, but uh, never met him. I yeah, I, just I heard. I, I'm sorry, Dennis. I heard the name quite a bit, and you know he was uh, as most of the wrestling announcers uh, during the '60s and '70s. Uh, that wasn't all he did, you know, on TV. And uh, right. he 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 was uh, a well-known personality there, and uh, you know sold. Uh, a, a lot of things on the air, and, and did a lot of different types of television shows, and uh, he he was just one of those big personalities. And as I understand it, he fit in very well with the with the wrestling audience and with uh, doing pro wrestling. Yeah, I just I just wonder. One time I watched a YouTube thing of him, and and he wrestled in 
forging the 70s, a guy named John Foley, the British wrestler. I remember those two went at it verbally, and it was so <laughs> funny when Ed Whalen, Ed Whalen said, who are you? Are you Bozo the Clown? He told that to John Foley. You know, John Foley was a bad guy manager. He was dressed up. He had a mustache like Hitler did, and he he dressed in like an army, those beige army fatigues, you know, like an officer in the army or yeah, something. Yeah, he was called J.R. Foley up there, wasn't he? When yeah, J.R. Foley. Yeah. Yeah, J.R. Foley. And, well, I hope before he and, called him a bozo, he got his permission to do that angle. Because John Foley was not somebody to fool with. <laughs> No, it was I'm sure, no, I'm sure was, uh, he never got he never got invited to go down in the in the dungeon either by Stu Hart because he would have had Stu Hart crying. Yeah, uh, John Foley was was uh, as dangerous as a stick of dynamite. <laughs> yeah, well, I heard a story, Bobby, about him. You knew him better than I did. I, you know, he's been dead a few years. Right. That John John like to have a drink or two. Do you ever see him drunk? Oh well, yeah, he he was. He 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 was not beyond bending his elbow. Uh, yeah, John John liked beer. He he liked to drink his beer. Uh, but he was uh, John came out of that week was Wigan Wigan's Wigan yeah, school Wigan. In, over in England, and he was uh, without any doubt. I guess any time you talk about shooters in our business that were uh, the, the best shooter that ever lived, the, you know the, the name Carl Gotch comes up. Well, John Foley taught Carl Gotch. And uh, I asked Foley one time, I said, if it came down to you and him, uh, could you beat him? And Foley looked at me and he said, a teacher never teaches his pupil everything. Right. That was all he said to me. And I believed him. I turned around and walked off. You know, I, I, so I had the privilege yeah, to nice. wrestle him one night, and I was as afraid of him as if he had <laughs> had a three fifty seven Magnum pointed at me. Yeah, now, I just where wondered, was- you know. Where was that, Bobby? That was in Carrollton. Somebody Man. didn't show up, and they told me, you got your stuff. I said, yeah. They said, well, we'll let such and such referee. I was in a tag match. Me me, and Buddy Atlas, a uh, guy out of uh, Calhoun, uh, Georgia, against uh, Norman Frederick Charles and John Foley. Wow. Boy. And uh, he he was his – I mean, I, really, I was. I was scared of him. You know, I mean, I knew what he could do. But he was as nice to me and just absolutely treated me with kid gloves and, you know, uh, it was That's good to hear. very very enjoyable. Well, well Norman wasn't, wasn't a slouch either. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. <laughs> no, he wasn't. Norman Frederick Charles, was he from Australia originally? Uh, no. Or he, was English, from, he? he was from England, but he he teamed with uh, John, John Boyd, Boyd as, as an Australian gimmick. Now, Boyd was from was from Australia, yeah. but uh, Charles was from, from England. Um, what a great guy. What a great Man. guy he was, or he is. I hope yeah. I hope Charles is Norman's still with us. But, yeah, uh, I tell you. I tell he, and you Anne, uh, he and his wife, Anne, still had uh, a home in England. And uh, but li- lived most of the year in Pensacola, and uh, yeah, um, he was he was the secret. What was his sergeant of arms of the Gulf? Coast he was sergeant of arms of Gulf Coast reunion, and uh, always the Saturday of the reunion, showed up in his kilt, 
And uh, he was, what a funny guy he was. He was so funny. I bet he was. I tell you, guys, um, I was was going to ask y'all, too. I was wondering, Michael, you got any future guests lined up? Down the pipe. No, I'm, I'm uh, got a couple in mind that I'm going to reach out to. I just I haven't yet. Um, well, I was going to ask you. Uh, Charlie Smith wanted me to ask you. How far is Blakely, Georgia, from you? It's probably over 100 miles. I think it's like 35, 40 miles northeast of Dothan. But I won't be able yeah. to make it. Y'all going down there? Yeah, we're going down. Uh, oh man, I hate to be the road show. Out. We'll be we're moving again, uh, Mr. Smith. Boy, that's going to be something, guys. I won't be able to make it, but I'm going to be down there in spirit with y'all. You know, I'm going to be down there spirit-wise with y'all down there. You know, y'all going to have a good time down there. Ron and Robert Full is going to be there and all that, and that's great. Yeah, it's about 34 miles northeast of Dothan. I'm, I've never been to Blakely, Georgia. Did y'all ever? Did Georgia Championship Wrestling ever do any spot programs in Blakely, Bobby? Uh, that would, you know, I never remember going there working when we were Georgia champions. That would have been Fred Ward's end of the state. Uh, uh-huh. I know we went to Bainbridge, which is not too far from Blakely. Uh, right. But yeah, we. Uh, I don't ever remember going to Blakely. First time I went to Blakely was a couple of years ago when I went down with Charlie for uh, one of Dennis Gale's promotions there, and uh, uh, yeah. They got a great venue there. It's a high school gym, but it's a new gym. It's air conditioned. Mm-hmm. It's a great place to have matches. Well, that's good. That's good here. Well, guys, before I let you go, I got some pop questions to ask y'all. I emailed this to Jay on Facebook the other day. Oh, did you? I'm There's sorry. A... I, I look at my Facebook, Dennis, and I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything from you. Uh, really? I thought, yeah. I thought I'd you. Well, anyway, guys, there's a there's a news anchor that used to work at Channel 12, the NBC affiliate, the Montgomery, and from the late 60s there. It's 70s. He used to work at WSB in Atlanta, I think, Jay. Do y'all remember a news guy named Bob Gabacurta? Uh, he worked at Dutch Channel 2, WSB. Yeah, and so did a black guy that died a few years. He worked at Channel 12. He and Bob went to Channel 12 in 69 or 68 named Norman Mumpkin. I don't remember Norman Mumpkin. I don't remember uh, either one of them. And the other guy's either. name, was, uh, was he later than, was that he later than that, like the 70s or the 80s? I don't are think you, are so. You, he worked in... Are you talking yeah. TV or radio? Because you know there's WSB TV and radio here. I'm, both of them worked at TV. Oh, okay. I do not remember either one of those names. Not particularly yeah, from I that time frame. Of course, they worked in Atlanta, then they came to Montgomery at Channel 12, the big, is still the number one TV station in Montgomery, the NBC affiliate down here. And I, I was curious about that, guys. I tell you, um, I was going to ask y'all, too. Um, y'all, you, you heard of a manager, he managed in oh, some up in the Ohio Valley in Louisville. Y'all heard of Kenny Bowling? I've heard the name, yeah. Yeah, I just wonder if he was familiar. I didn't know if y'all was familiar with him or or not. He was sort of a heavy set manager. He knows Jim Cornette pretty good and and all that. So 
Well, guys, I tell you what, I enjoyed listening to y'all's show like always, and hope you have a safe trip down to Blakely. And and when y'all get back, I'm sure y'all have some good stories to tell from y'all's journeys down to Southwest Georgia, guys. I'll keep yeah. listening at your hang up. All right, hey, guys. Thank you, Dennis. Hey, guys, thank you, guys. Have a good night. Thank you. Thanks, good night, Dennis. I'm trying to think who when I first moved to Atlanta. Of course, you you two are are from here, but I first moved here in '82, and uh, Monica Kaufman, and there was a guy that did the news with her. And I want to say his name was Sar- something Sergeant. Yeah, yeah, Sergeant. There was a Ron Sergeant. Was it Ron? No, no. I, I remember there was Don a Sergeant, Sergeant here. Dan Sergeant yeah, something. I remember that. And then, and then Forrest Sawyer was also here, and then he went on to uh, the network, ABC Network. Yeah, yeah Forrest, Forrest Sawyer actually started out at WGST Radio. Oh, really? And, uh, and uh, he, you know, this is back during the day when radio news was, on a local level, uh, was still part of, you know, stations that played music and things like that. You know, there wasn't just an all-news station. And uh, he he got quite a following there, WGST. And then he uh, went to Channel 5 and then later on went to ABC. But he got involved with the co-anchor that he was working with at Channel 5, uh, Pam, uh, red-haired girl, lady. I know you don't know. I can't remember her name. Uh, Pam, anyway... They uh, became quite an item, and I can't remember which of them was, you know, we're doing soap opera here, uh, was not really available to have a relationship. And uh, he ended up leaving, but it was, my understanding was it was, you know, time to go for us. But he uh, worked at ABC Radio for a while, and then he got on with ABC Television and, and, and did pretty well. Uh, but uh, I haven't seen him do anything in a while. I'm trying to think if he was in Sharky's Machine or not. It's been a while since I've watched it, and I, I, I need to dig it out and, and watch it. Seems like he was one of the newscasters in in Sharky's Machine. Just in, huh. a, in a brief scene there. I wish I could think of his co-anchor's last name, but I guess it's just not. And she worked at Channel 2 up until maybe 10 years ago uh, after she left 5 and worked around. She started out as a weathercaster, uh, or weather girl as they called them back in the day. I'm trying to remember who the uh, the, the radio, the, the radio stations around here, and I don't listen to the radio anymore, but uh, I got in the car with somebody the other day. I don't know if it was you, Bobby, or if it was Juanita and, and Brian, but I got in the car and somebody had the radio on, and it's like 96 Rock doesn't play uh, rock music anymore. They play something else, but, it, you know, the radio stations have changed around here so much. But uh, I'm, I, I, we used to have some of the uh, better-known radio personalities come to Macy's all the time. What was the guy's name? He was with... Uh, he was with uh, uh, what was the, the not Z ninety three, but what was the other? You know about Gary McKee. Gary McKee, yeah. What a 
I can't say what he was, but starts with a P yeah, and he, ends with a K. <laughs> he was uh, he he was Gary McKee uh, was one of the few guys that had a hard contract back in the uh, you know back in the uh, let's see that would have been early eighties. Uh, late seventies, early eighties, on with uh, you know the WQXI and the various stations that he Q, worked that's with. That's what it was. Q ninety was it Q ninety four? That's the FM. Uh, yeah. Well, WSB, whatever WSB FM was, the last station he worked for, I think. But he started out working at uh, the AM station. This is back in the sixties, and he was one of the few guys in radio at that time that that had a contract. I mean, you know, radio, uh, Georgia was a right-to-work state, and uh, radio guys would come and go on a whim, uh, you know, uh, being fired left and right. But uh, he was he had a contract, you know, and, and he had the numbers to back it up. So uh, he was uh, one of the first guys that uh, did, and then after him a lot of the morning guys uh, had, had uh, agents that started working out contracts with them. But people would still be surprised, you know, that uh, in in most of your media markets, and even some of your smaller stations in the major markets, that uh, you know, radio people work without contracts. They're here today and gone tomorrow. Well, you know, years ago, you're talking about radio. You know, when I was a kid growing up, you know, radio personalities, you know, they developed pretty huge followings. Oh yeah. Uh, what was the guy at WPLO? There was a guy over there. He was there for a hundred years. Uh, uh, you know, PLO was playing country music, but he had a huge following. Uh, well, the guy in the morning was John Fox, uh, <clears throat> who was on for years, and uh, you had McKee on Quixie, and, and yeah. he went when he went to FM. He picked up Yetta Levitt as his yeah. sidekick. He had Willis the Guard for a while, right? Uh, which I met Willis the Guard. Willis the Guard was the projectionist at the Terra Theater. That's how I met him. I'd deliver film for Debbie, you know, later on, and I found out who he was. But um, they had uh, uh, Skinny Bobby Harper. Yeah. You know, uh, just. Yeah, yeah, I met Bobby yeah. a few times. As a matter of fact, Bobby and uh, Bobby Harper, and he first came to WPLO when it was still a, a top 40 station from Cleveland. And right. he was on in the afternoons, and he had a wild show. I mean, there was nobody doing anything like him with all the sound effects and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, he, he was really great. And uh, and uh, Bobby was uh, one of the guys that uh, influenced me into getting into radio. I would, you know, our band would uh, play at, you know, a lot of these places. Misty Waters was one of the places you could get knifed. And uh, so at any rate, uh, you know, the, the DJs would uh, be hired to host these things over at, uh, what was it, Fun Town over there. And, uh, Fun Town, and, yeah. Misty yeah, Water. and uh, the Quixie They called it Misty Water Country Club, but it wasn't yeah. much new. It was just a yeah. lake. Yeah, right. And Red Jones and Pat Hughes, who uh, they had it tied up uh, uh, on WQXI. Tony the Tiger Taylor did a few of them. And uh, so at any rate, I got to know uh, Bobby Harper through him emceeing at various places and our band would play. And uh, so he he was a, a big influence on me uh, to uh, try to get into radio. I was interested from, you know, the time I was seven or eight years old. But uh, once that I got to meet him and a few few of the other guys, I, 
you know, I said, you know, I might get a shot at this. And uh, I did work a little bit, and then Uncle Sam called. Uh, but uh, but at any rate, uh, I, I did, I won't say I knew Bobby Harper well, but uh, I knew him back in the 60s and early in the 70s. And, you know, then he uh, got out of the radio business after his daughter was born, and he, uh, he, he, uh, him and he knew Freddie pretty well, Freddie Miller. Yes, he did. And, the last, uh, the but, last place I think he worked was WSB. Yeah, and he came uh, back and so did some it, stuff there. Yeah, and he went to work doing public relations for. I want to say Delta, but I, I'm not Delta, sure. Delta, that's exactly what it was. And yeah. uh, and so at any rate, uh, you know, he passed away a few years ago, but he he had a long career, but he knew it was time to get out of radio. Yeah, but you know, and even the radio personalities. Uh, we, this is, I wrestling has gone out the window here all of a sudden, but anyway, the, the, you know, when I was growing up, the weather people were personalities. Yes. You knew who they were. Oh yeah. You know, Johnny, Johnny Beckman on WSB for a hundred years, Guy Sharp right. on, on channel five yes. and channel 11. I don't remember cause they, they, you know, nobody watched channel 11 news back then. Well, if you if you remember back in the day, Channel Two WSB and uh, Channel Eleven uh, switched switched affiliates, affiliate. yeah. And uh, you know that that caused pandemonium for a little while here because uh, you know nobody knew where where their soap operas were. Uh, but at any rate, yet <laughs> that was during the time that they still had booth announcers uh in television stations and booth announcers would give the idea at the top of the hour occasionally do a, 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 a commercial where they would have to do an audio you know over uh voiceover at the end of it uh and they kept the program log and uh when stations went totally automated then there were no more booth announcers freddie was uh working part-time he would do that at channel 11 from time to time after you know long after he was no longer working there uh, but uh, uh johnny beckman was a booth announcer and he also did the weather and you know then it became a big thing you had to have a degree in weather or whatnot uh in in order to be somebody that people said you know stations promoted them as knowing something about weather and if you were not didn't have a uh, a a degree in in that and uh, you know you were watching somebody that was just pulling it off the wire uh but then you know they became certified meteorologists uh and uh Johnny was one of the first guys to get that you know what and they was showed the the WSB that was there for so long might still be there the weather, uh, weather, the weather guy. guy oh the yeah. guy WSB that's the head meteorologist has been there for years uh, his name escapes me at the moment, but uh, WSB's meteorologists uh, have have been there for for a good while. That but, guy that uh, I was just thinking about would would uh, Monica Coffin when I heard West Sergeant was his name. Yeah, West, West Sergeant. Yeah. yeah, West Sergeant. Yeah, and then West went to work for uh, was it 46 towards the end there. It's uh, it's hard to remember because uh, maybe it was five, but after he left Channel Two, he he he. He worked. No, it was a, well. He worked at eleven, and uh, so he he uh, made made the rounds too. And uh, he he was uh, he was still you know very capable, but uh, 
the idea was that uh, Atlanta was a market where, you know, people stayed forever, kind of like the homesteaders we talked about if they in wrestling. If, uh, but uh, then they wanted some new younger folks and uh, more minorities. Nothing against minorities here, folks, but uh, you know they had to shake it up. And uh, so uh, a lot of the older folks that had been working for years here uh, either retired or they ended up going into some other related business or they went to smaller markets where they were welcomed with open arms because of their background. Hmm. That's funny. You're talking about pitchmen and stuff like that. There's a... There's a um, channel that's on on Spectrum called uh, Decades Channel that runs mm-hmm. all kind of old shows of Waltons and all that. But but two or three times a day they'll run old Dick Cavett shows, and he's I've watched a couple of them. And he actually will sit there and and do a shaving cream commercial live. You know, hold up the product and all that stuff. Right. Lord, it's been and these are from you know, late sixties, early seventies. I can't imagine. <laughs> People well, that was that one of the, the primary jobs for Ed McMahon when he was the announcer on yeah. the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. You know, uh, Johnny would always rib him about doing the Alpo commercials uh, because early on they'd do them live, and he'd have the Alpo there on the, uh, you know, uh, uh, there in, in, with the camera on, and they'd have a, a, a dog who was supposedly trained to eat the Alpo, and sometimes it would, sometimes it wouldn't. <laughs> huh. Well, in Mobile, we had uh, midday on Channel Channel Five. Uh, they had a cooking program, and the lady's name was uh, Connie B. Hope, was her name, and she, you know, did cook meals on on the air, and it was live. Well, Channel Five also was a studio where they did the live wrestling show back in those days. This is the '60s I'm talking about. Well. <laughs> They had Mario Galento for some reason. Now they they had him be a guest on the uh, the Connie B Hope show, and at the time he was in the middle of a feud with the the original Rocket Monroe, Bill Fletcher. Well, wouldn't you know? They tore up that stage. <laughs> that oh, God, they tore up the whole thing. <laughs> because I Mario was on there as a guest, and all of a sudden Rocket Monroe comes running in there. And they just they fought all over the place and and tore the kitchen set up and everything else. There's no telling what uh, what Lee had to pay uh, right WAGA Studio to to repay all that or if because because uh, him being a Welch he wasn't gonna break kayfabe and tell them that it was a, a work or anything. Right. Well, they had a new. St- I'm sure they had a new s- set the next day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. Uh, uh, funny story like that, that I wish that uh, that there was uh, there was film of. You know, of course, There's all that a, stuff was live back in those days. Yeah, so. right. Uh, what's, a live, what's the old I'll, story about the Von Bronners? They tore up somebody's set. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, well, I can't remember what the deal was. Can't even remember where it was, but. The guy was a sponsor of the wrestling, and uh, something was said. I don't know. Anyway, the Von Bronner's wound up just absolutely destroying the guy's set. Yeah, I've heard that story, too, and I, I, I want to say it happened in Tampa. May have. 
Uh, a funny, funny story, uh, sports-related. It's not wrestling, but Guy Sharp, who is uh, uh, here in Atlanta, is the weather weather guy, weather guy, Guy Sharp, for years and years and years and years. Uh, anyway, on uh, Saturday they would do the, uh, uh, I guess it was University of Georgia, a replay. You know, getting uh, and uh, they'd have the coach on there, and Guy's main he, he wasn't the host, uh, but his job was to do the commercials live. And Atlanta Dairies was was sponsoring it. And uh, what happened was he would, you know, he'd get the milk out of the uh, out of the refrigerator, and he would pour it, and he would take a big slug of it and say how good that Atlanta Dairies was. Well, something had happened, and during the week, they unplugged the refrigerator. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so. You know, uh, it was plugged in, of course, for the show, and uh, uh guy took a, you know, poured it, took a big slug, and spit it all over the the counter. <laughs> I'm sure that cost some uh, cost somebody's head to roll over that. Not his, of course, because. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> that was uh, that was uh, a famous broadcast story. That was, as I understand it, was legit. Uh, I mean, I can remember him doing the football replay show, but I I didn't see that. I didn't see that. But you know, those were some of the things that could happen in the '60s and in the '70s when they were still doing those commercials live during those television shows. Well, Live Atlanta Wrestling, back when it was live, was sponsored by Columbia Sewing Machine Company, 816 Gordon Street, Southwest Atlanta, Georgia. And my daddy worked for Columbia Soil Machine Company, so daddy would take would take uh, would take a sewing machine up to the studio, and he would stand there. He would go up there and sit and watch wrestling, and Ed would do uh, live commercials with the sewing machine during the show. This was back in the '60s, but uh, that was actually my first uh, first time I ever went to the TV station. My dad took me when he took a sewing machine up there. That was the old Channel 11 there. Mm-hmm. When it was behind, I, I guess it's still there, behind WSB there on West Peachtree. Yeah, the, the stations were pretty close close together there. Uh, White yeah, Channel 11 was in the backyard of WSB. Yeah, they, they were pretty close. White Columns. Yes. Me, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see here if... Uh, uh, Jerry's uh, obviously had something happen this evening, folks, because uh, uh, he has never made it. But uh, he could have emailed me and let me know. My email is so wonky; I don't get emails half the time. That people uh, send just like me. Uh, Dennis said, he had emailed me, but on my Facebook. Yeah. But I, I could, you know, it's supposed to come up and say you've got a message, but I, I didn't see anything, so uh, yeah. I, I don't know if he uh, actually did or not. But somebody that can probably uh, uh, talk about the old days. Uh, uh, Charlie Smith, are you there? Yes. I you had mentioned the station you work for, so. Uh Yeah, I, I I worked for a few. Uh, WPLO in the early 70s, WSSA uh, off and on throughout the 70s, and uh, WKHX was the last one I worked at. But that's how I met Charlie Smith. Was uh, in I was doing a country music show, and Charlie was and his family was in the audience out there. And, uh, Must have been free. Huh? Must have been free. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I don't know. 
anyway, uh, I think it was, uh, you know, Don Gibson was on that show and uh, Del Reeves and uh, the uh, Gosden brothers. And uh, at any rate, we had a pretty good turnout there, and that's how I met Charlie. And uh, so, uh, yeah, if it hadn't been for... Uh, Hadn't been for the radio business, and uh, then uh, knowing watching Charlie on TV, I, you know, I never would have made that connection. I appreciate it, too. You're, you're giving well, a good plug. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you signed any? You signed any autographs that day, Charlie? I can't remember that far back, sir. Uh oh, oh. You signed any last week? How about that? You remember that? Yes, sir. Okay. How much you charge for them? That's a question. Uh, you, you remember? You remember anything uh, working in the stations, uh, uh, doing wrestling, Charlie? Uh, not related to the match itself, but just something that uh, uh, that went wrong with uh, uh, you know what was going into the station while the show was going on, or you know, uh, back in the live days. Oh, that was. Uh... When I refereed on Channel 11, the operator there, she hated my guts. One time she come to me, I, I said, match. she said, come here. And I went in there, and the light, the switchboard was all lit up. She said, pick up one of them lines. And I picked it up, and boy, some woman was just giving me down the country. <laughs> she said, see that, all the problem you caused me, every line was lit up. I can't have that now. I've done my job. Right. I may I may have told y'all this. I don't know if I did or not, or if we've ever talked about it. You know, when we moved from when 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 Dunkel moved his show from Channel Eleven down to to uh, Channel Seventeen, we were the uh, we were the uh, Baltimore Colts before the Baltimore Colts pulled moved in the middle of the night. Me and Larry Nichols went up there in the middle of the night and moved the ring out of Channel Seven or Eleven and moved it down to Seventeen. And the first Saturday that they were there, <clears throat> I went up there to put the ring up. I got there about eight thirty in the morning, and uh, I could not get anybody to the door. And and Channel Seventeen uh, took over the old studio where Channel Five used to be on West Peachtree Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they moved out to their big new facility, uh, Turner moved in there. So I, I, I knocked on doors, rang doorbells, couldn't get nobody to the door. So I went to the back door and I took my pocket knife and I jimmied the back door where I could get in. I mean, I didn't know if I was going to set an alarm off. I didn't have no clue what was going on. So when I finally got inside the building, I thought, well, I better go through the control room and tell somebody I'm here. Because when I start putting this ring up and things start banging around, you know, they may think something's wrong. So I made my way down into the control room. And this is the, you got to remember, it's the first time I've ever been there. I walked in. They had one guy working. Because you got to remember, when 17 first started, all they did was play old movies. Mm-hmm. He's sitting there at the control board. It's, it's about 8.30 in the morning now. He's barefooted. He's got one leg propped up on the control panel. He was playing a guitar and smoking a joint. <laughs> and I said, sir, I'm here to put the ring up for wrestling this morning. He said, knock yourself out. And I went on out, and that was it. He was the only so, person there. 
So you put the ring up, and did any? I mean, he was the only guy in, in I guess, in the control room. I, I guess at some point, some other people started showing up, right? Well, yeah. The you know a little later on, I think we started filming at ten or ten thirty or eleven o'clock. I can't remember. Must have been ten o'clock. So you know, about about nine thirty, people would start coming in. Uh, back then, they used two cameras. Uh, you know, when when Ed did the rundown for uh, for the uh, matches for Friday night, Ed used to put eight by ten pictures on uh, foam core or on uh, cardboard colored cardboard, and they would be it was he would set the heels up on one easel, and he would set the the baby faces on the other easel. And as he would go down the line, sometimes he'd use me, sometimes Larry, sometimes somebody else. But uh, as he would run through the card and you'd watch the camera, and as soon as the light went off, you'd flip the picture down where the next picture would be when they come back to that one. Mm-hmm. But that's how they gave the rundown of the card was through those pictures. But, yeah, it was a, that was a wild time back then. Uh, you know, they had a uh, – the, their studio announcer for 17 back then was a guy named Joel something or another. I don't even remember his name, but he was always there on Saturday morning to do the sound. And uh, R.T. Williams was the director. He was—he uh, actually became Turner's creative director, some kind of wheel in Turner Turner uh, Promotions. But R.T. was our director when we first started. Uh, then later we had Greg Gunn, who went on to work network for CBS, uh, and then uh, we had uh, Skip Ellison for a while as our director. And Skip went to work for WGN and was the director for the Cubs broadcast for a lot of years. So did he we do the Braves too? Didn't Skip could very well have. Yeah, he could I have. I think he did do the Braves. What year well, did you, you know, guys we, move to from eleven to seventeen, Bobby? God. God, Michael, this all runs together. Seventy, seventy-one. Yeah, yeah. right. Somewhere so it was before the split, though, right? Oh, oh yes. yes, 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 yes. And what yeah. year did uh, they move into the uh, the bigger the, studio, the, the plantation house over there? Off that the must off have been. Let's Techwood. see. Must have been about seventy-eight, seventy-nine. Was it? It was after the. Was it after the city auditorium closed? Uh, yes, I think so. Well, the city auditorium closed December of '79. Well, it was yeah, because it was '79 or '80. We moved into the new yeah. one. Yeah. You know, yeah, they have to buy. Yeah, I'm sorry. The wrestling matches is is the '60s. Do what now? You know who sold tickets for the wrestling matches in the '60s? It wasn't no, didn't know all the. I didn't work and sell tickets or nothing. They had one place on Peachtree Street sold tickets. No name of it. Oh, God, I have no idea. What is it? Atlanta Hatters. Atlanta Hatters. uh, Clean hats and sold hats. (coughs) They sold advanced tickets for the wrestling matches. Was that that hat store that was right there in Five Points? No, it was up there next to the, uh, by the Piedmont uh, Hotel. Okay. He had a crystal at the William Street and Peace Street. 
never got up to speak from it. And they sold advance tickets for the wrestling match at that Hattery, uh, Charlie? Yep, a lot of Hattery. Well, they, are, they, are, they always sold tickets at the sports arena, right? Yeah, but uh, we didn't take no reservations. The Atlanta Hatters did all that. Okay. They had control of all the tickets. What year did they move to the sports arena, Charlie? Did they move from, when they moved from Houston Street to sports arena, what year was that? Yeah, they Fuller found Fuller found the sports arena, you know. And, yeah. Um, he told uh, Paul Jones and Gunkel they ought to buy it. So Gunkel and uh, Paul Jones bought it, and we moved out there. When did George Beard come there, Bobby? You remember? I have no idea. He was there when I started running errands. Beery had been the time, even as a kid, though, going to matches, Beery had been the timekeeper. Yeah, so I guess he started player. managing for Paul when Paul bought it. Yeah. Well, Paul and uh, Ray bought it together. Then Ray sold his part to Paul Jones for some property down in Covington, Georgia. And Ray came out ahead on that deal. Yeah. So where was your office on Houston Street? Well, we had two offices on Houston Street. We had at one time uh, right behind Davis Brothers Cafeteria. And uh, they were moved down to uh, uh, where the White House is. Had an office there. That's across the street in the parking deck, though, right? Yeah, then I moved over to the parking day. Oh, okay. And uh, that's what the uh, place where Paul Joe, I mean, uh, Ray, Eddie Smith shot Ray Garko. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, the, you know, the, the the White House was where Paul Jones lived. He had the penthouse. And yeah. uh, the rest of us was right across the street there. When I, the first one I remember was across the street. Well, that was a spooky place at night. Sometimes I'd come back from Savannah. I'd get up, uh, home about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. And I didn't want to go home and go to bed because I know if I was late at the rest's office, Gunkel would fire me. <laughs> if he wasn't at the office at 9 o'clock. So I slept there in that office. Well, it was spooky, too. Rats running around, scared me to death. I had a couch back in the back. I slept, slept in it. I kept my hair around with real cream. It was a place of, that's where the, where we were at when the mummy came there. He came in, I said, yes, sir, I can help you. He said, I'm the mummy. So I went back in, I told Ray, and uh, Bob McIntyre, 
because they give him a hundred dollars and said him we can't use it. Send him back to Texas. They give him a hundred dollars. He won't out. Never never still <laughs> here from it no more. What is that rat The mummy? Yeah. Yeah. Was uh yeah. um uh, ben, Benjamin, Benjamin Ramirez. Yeah, Benjamin Ramirez. How come they wouldn't use him? Because he was Mexican? No, because he was black. Oh, he wasn't that dark. Yes, he was. Well, it didn't matter during the, during that time frame. Right, dark was dark. That's right. They said, you know, they told him, they, they told him, said, you know, if they ever took the, you know, white tape off of everything and found you were black and you were wrestling the white guys, the wrestling office would have to pull up. I remember when uh, I didn't take Bobo Zero down on Forest Avenue to a hotel down there. You know, he wasn't allowed in no hotels uptown. Had to go to the black neighborhood down Forest Avenue. Well, the uh, area of downtown where the uh, the black nightclubs were, there weren't any uh, hotels uh, that the blacks lived in or stayed in down there, Charlie. I don't remember, but we always settled on Forest uh, Forest Avenue, Forest Road, or Forest Avenue, whatever it is. Yeah. You talking, you talking about Auburn Avenue? Uh, yeah. Jay? Yeah. Auburn Avenue. I just never know hotels out there. Let me tell you something. 1972, when Ann went in business, <clears throat> she had a flashing sign that they put into a place, uh, to a, a restaurant that was closed down down there on Auburn Avenue. It was called B.B. Rebozo's. It was a barbecue place. <laughs> and it went out of business. It was gone. But we had the light and the, the sign in the window. And that Charlie Harbin handed, told me, he said, go down there and change that sign. And you had to go down there and go in a barber shop to get the key. Now, you talk about a 17-year-old scared to death walking into a barber shop on Auburn Avenue. Everybody stopped and looked at me, and I told that barber, I said, I'm here from Gunkle. I need to go change that sign next door. He said, oh, ain't no problem. Hand me the key. And I went, nobody bothered me. But, buddy, I was so out of place, I promise you. Yeah, it was just the psychological uh, element oh, of yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree with you, Bobby. Do what? I agree with you, but you know that. had to go down there every uh, Monday. Put out posters every Monday. Yep. Well, they didn't bother red either. I like to have a nickel for every poster red put out. Oh, God. I like to have all the posters they ever put out. You ain't kidding. I wouldn't have had to work no more, would I? What are you talking about? You don't work now. (laughs) (laughs) But I ain't got no money. Yeah. Got money enough to burn up a wet dog. My wife, sir. <laughs> well, if you, you you were nicer to your wife, she might give you some money. I can't do that. 
I wanted to. Is the Royal Peacock still open on my Auburn Avenue? No, I sir. The sign might still be up down there. They used to. Uh, uh, a couple of the uh, black radio stations, uh, since we were talking about radio, WAOK, and uh, I forget what the other one was that uh, competed against them, but the Royal Peacock was famous for the commercials that they would run for the artists that were coming in to uh, to play there. And, uh, you know, I, I never went there. Uh, I, once again, talking about the barbershop thing, Bobby, I was always scared, even though uh, some friends of mine told me that, uh, you know, they, they, they were okay as long as you didn't cause any problems yourself. But uh, they brought in a lot of the uh, top black artists of the time. There. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, uh, was, uh, that was the Atlanta's version of the Apollo Theater. Was that's the, correct. Was the Royal Peacock. Yes. It was on, on the, the one of the stops on the Chitlin circuit. Yep. That all the all the guys played, but uh, yeah, uh, when Bobby Bird was alive, he was telling me that one time that they, um, the James Brown and the Famous Flames were playing there, mm-hmm. and um, Little Richard was there, and. Uh, Something went on where where the Flames didn't get all the money that they were supposed to get or whatever. So he said, "Little Richard called them. They didn't have enough money to get to their whatever their next their next gig was. So Richard called them out to the parking lot to pop the trunk on his brand new Cadillac. And he said, Bobby said that his whole trunk was lined with hundred dollar bills, just stacks and stacks of them. He said, "Reach in there and get what you need." And <laughs> They got what they needed for their next gig. Well, that's the way Chuck Berry on. was paid. Uh, he was uh, his manager would get half. Chuck Berry would his manager would get half of his money up front, and uh, before he'd show up, and uh, and then he would use you know the local place wherever it was would provide the band because everybody knew Chuck Berry's material, and yeah. then uh, before the show started, Chuck would be paid in a brown paper bag. The the other half of his money in cash, and if they didn't have it, he didn't go on stage. Hmm. I Your guess he. In his, Chief, go ahead. Go ahead, Jenny. Huh? Go ahead. I thought you were gonna say something. No, I just that's that was the way he was paid, and if he, if they didn't. You know, if they didn't have the money, that uh, the, he didn't work. And you know, most of the places that Chuck Berry would play uh, by the uh, even the early '80s, uh, you know, it was a mixed crowd, and uh, the, he he was a legend, legendary. And uh, you know, they, uh, it was going to be a ride if he didn't work. So uh, he, they they would come up with the money. But you know, obviously, as a younger performer, uh, he was cheated. You know, and on his money, and there wasn't anything he could do about it. So he he learned the business and uh, learned how he was going to make sure that uh, they didn't short him on his money before he uh, before he worked. Well, absolutely. I mean, if you see, uh, I think it's Maybelline. If you look at the writers' credits on Maybelline, Alan Freed's name's on there, mm-hmm. and he had nothing to do with it. Oh, except yeah. the money part of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, Silas Green from New Orleans, blackest folks you've ever seen. 
He ain't playing Lennon all the time. Who's that? Silence Green from New Orleans. Blackest folks you ever see. Never heard of him. Yeah, but Auburn, I, I, I always uh, wanted to go down to the Peacock. We, for, for the first time I uh, moved here, and I, I never did make it down there. In fact, I was riding around with my daughter the other day. It what what we were going uh, when they picked me up from church. We were going down through there, and I had asked her if, if Auburn Avenue was still open, or not Auburn Avenue, but the, the Peacock was still open. And when I Googled it, it's it Still had advertisements It'll, on there on the, the internet for it, so I assume they were still open. Well, I say it's not open. It might be, but I, I you don't hear anything about it. Well, you know, they you, there's very few places that play live music anymore. I mean, you know, uh, when I when I first moved here, and Buckhead was full of places. Sure. Moon Shadow and. Uh, was a, was one of the places I used to go, and of course back in those days we still had confetti and the limelight were were still in business. Um, but most of the bands played again. I saw uh, the 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 Black Crows at, at Moonshadow before they were even the Black Crows. They were called uh, Mr. Crow's Garden, and I saw the Georgia Satellites there, uh, but they were just called the Satellites. Uh, <clears throat> and I'm trying to think of what was the big place in Decatur. Something Johnny was it Johnny's Hideaway? Somebody's Hideaway. Nothing, yeah, Buckhead. Uh, Wasn't that Buckhead? Uh, yeah, yeah, far end of yeah. Johnny's Hideaway. Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, you know, it was it was a retro place for the uh, you know the older crowd. They were tempted with, you know, then they moved to Buckhead. Huh. What was the name of Tim Woods' place? L.P. Pips. Where was it? It was on uh, Stewart Avenue. Worst part of Atlanta you could be in. You know, <laughs> I, I was wondering about that. Who? I wonder whoever whoever thought or whoever sold him on the idea that would be a good place to have a club. He tried to have an upscale place. <clears throat> All the heels wanted to hang out there. The biggest baby face territory I'd ever known. All the heels wanted to hang out there. Barnett went crazy. Um, uh, Barnett had one of the guys. He was paying one of the guys to uh, to uh, keep up with who was out there and who was doing what. And and uh, they put the word out that it was me that was doing it. So everybody thought I was the stooge that was telling who was out there and who wasn't. And actually, it was one of the guys that was out there buying rounds of drinks. But you know, that's that's, that's a secret I'll take to my grave with me. But you know, it's just a I, I don't know what it was. I mean, he tried to be very upscale. It was a very nice place. I was never in there. I just saw pictures of it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's on the back side of that shopping center facing Stewart Avenue across the street from the two or three strip clubs that were of mm-hmm. uh, low degree. He's down the road from the Ford Rock Club where that was the notorious place where Wahoo shot Slater. Uh, you know, it just... And of course, Pips is where Wahoo chased Norvell around the building with a shotgun. So there was a lot of things went on down there, but you know, that's wrestling business, sir. I guess so. <laughs> and then oh. he owned an electronics store at one time too. That was it? that was before the that was before the bar. 
uh, it was over in Hateful, and it was on a industrial. You know, again, he tried to have an upscale audio place, and I can't remember what he called it, but he had a German partner, and a German was a whiz, man. He was a smart guy, and uh, they started selling radar detectors and things like that before they were popular with the, the you know normal folks. First, first Fuzzbuster, which was the first radar detector I ever had, uh, that's where it come from. And uh, it didn't even have an audible beep on it. It had a light on it. And you set it up on the dash. It was about the size of a, uh, God, what was, I'm trying to think of something it would be the size of. It was huge and it was heavy. And it set up on the dash and you adjusted it. And when radar would, they'd shoot radar at you, the light would come on, which was great at night because it would light the whole car up. But during the daytime, it was hard to see. And then shortly after that, they came out with one same same design called a fuzz buster that, that had a uh, had an audible beep to it when the light would come on, which was better. And then probably a year later, they came out with a brand called Whistler, which is what everybody went to. And man, they were there's no telling how many tickets it saved me over the years having that thing mounted in my vehicle. How about Tell nineteen? CBs came along. Yeah, it was yeah. first person I ever knew to have a CB was uh, Jonathan Boyd and Norman Charles. They're the ones that uh, kind of turned everybody on to the CBs around here. They were talking about how they would talk with the truckers. The truckers would keep with what's going on. And uh, I remember the first one I bought, I paid almost $200 for it. You know, it was just a, a Midland CB, but they were expensive back then. And licenses were $40. Right, they were in vogue. Yeah. So uh I can imagine what some of the handles of some of the boys were. <laughs> Gee, no Nettie. Ronnie, I never was interested in CBs myself. I Ronnie West one. was the Tennessee two tone. I we won't go in, we won't go into any uh, reasons <laughs> for that, but uh my handle was, was the Dodge Boy because I drove a Dodge. And they were doing the Dodge Boy commercials on TV. I was Bob Bagelbones. <laughs> the neatest, the neatest, the neatest uh, handle of anybody around here. The most, uh, the creative one of was creative was uh, was Rock Hunter. His 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 handle was Prospector because he was Rock Hunter. Because he was a rock hunter. There you go. Yeah. Very good. Wrestling 2 was uh, the mongoose. What was Jody that Bobby remember? Oh, I don't remember. I don't remember. I, I don't remember a lot of them. I used to get the guys so mad. He said, come on up here. I'm fighting you. I'm on this bridge up here. <laughs> what did he yeah. He got Rocky Johnson one night. We was coming home from Albany, and uh, uh, me and Dromo was together, and Rocky was, somebody was with him. But anyway, we'd been talking back and forth. And finally, this boy breaks in and goes, hey. He said, uh, black people shouldn't be on the CB. And Rocky <laughs> got hot. So Rocky uh-huh. Rocky blasts out, and this guy goes, well, just who you think you are? And he kept on and on and on and on. So finally... Finally, the guy said, well, why don't you just meet me up here at, 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 uh, at the Mara exit? He said, we'll just settle this man to man. So 
he had Rocky so mad. Rocky pulled off on the side of the road and was standing outside his car with the CB mic in his hand going, where are you at? The guy says, I'm on my way. You don't move. You stay right there. And as we come up on it, we seen him there and looked up on the bridge, and Jody was parked up on the bridge on top talking to him. <laughs> yeah, I had one. I, I had a couple. I bought one, and it was a 32 channel, and then when they went to 64, I, I bought a 64 channel. My name, uh, CB Handle, was, was the Midnight Wind because I drove a black car. Huh. And it was there was a song by Charlie Daniels called Midnight Wind that I liked, and I thought, well, that, that's a neat name. I can't remember anybody in the Gulf Coast Territory or any of the guys when, back then having CDs or anything. I would love to have one now if, if you know, I mean, of course, cars now are not conducive to mounting one in there. No. And, uh, uh, but, yeah, I, I was, there's times when I'm out on the road riding, I'd love to have one just uh, for traffic purposes and everything else. But they were great traveling at night. During the day, I never used it much. But at nighttime on those interstates, uh, and especially when they were, when they were expensive, not everybody had one. So it was very, uh, the people that had them were very, most of them were very courteous, and uh, mm -hmm. it wasn't bad at all. And when they dropped down and you could buy one for $29, and everybody bought one, oh, it was horrible. I would, a lot of times I wouldn't even turn mine on. You put my first one I ever had, Bobby, you, you put it in for me. I put a bunch of them in, man. Yeah. Well, going back to talking about guys uh, having businesses outside of the business, El Mongol, of course, had Maria's on Buford Highway. And uh, Mario Valento. What was, uh, was yeah, Abdullah's place? Abdullah's House of Ribs. House of Ribs and Chinese uh, food. And it, it's yeah. just recently been he just shut, shut it down. down I heard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was after the go. That was after the the, the health department shut it down. Yeah, <laughs> once <laughs> he just didn't reopen it. He didn't shut it down. He just didn't reopen it. But uh, and then this was before Bobby and Jay's time. But Charlie, you remember Mario Galento's uh, Pizza Parlor in Lilburn? Yep. Yeah. Remember the advertisements for it? Yes, sir. It was on. It was on Lawrenceville Highway, wasn't it? On Twenty Nine. Yeah. It, yeah. Uh, did he actually run it? Did he actually run it, or just put his somebody put his name on it for a certain amount of money? Oh yeah, he run it himself. He had his wife working there, and he'd be there sometimes. And I hope Smokey didn't pull a gun on nobody there. No, no. <laughs> no, Il Mongo's place out on Buford Highway now. I we used to go eat there, man. That was, what a great he had great food. When did he move from there to Griffin? Because I I'm I seem like I remember Maria's being on Buford Highway when I first moved when here. When he first in started he was in the old Georgia Ho Georgian hotel on up there just north of Dresden oh, Drive. And then he moved yep. from there over to Peachtree Industrial. He had a place on Peachtree Industrial. 
he made it was a bigger place and a nicer place, and then he went from there to Griffin. Okay, well, there was, was, was a Mexican front. restaurant right there in, in uh, on Buford Highway, just past Lennox Road, and not far from that that intersection that I used to go to at once. When I was thinking the name of it was Maria's, but I guess not. He. I think so that Maria's, he, when he moved to Griffin, he was in front of a hotel down there, too. It was sort of a hotel restaurant, and that's where he was. Well, Cisco Grimaldo used to be one of his cooks. Yeah, Who Cisco was? Did. Cisco, Cisco Grimaldo. Hmm. Charlie, did you ever go to, uh, didn't Lorenzo Perante own a place in Nashville? Who? Lorenzo Perante. Didn't he own a uh, yeah, uh, Italian a, restaurant uh, in Nashville? Nashville, Knoxville, too. Did he? Yeah, Knoxville, too. He was a real good in Knoxville. He was uh, in the early 60s, you know. Yeah. He was, real, he was really over in uh, Knoxville. He left Atlanta. He went to work with Nate. And they put him over like a champion up there, especially out in Knoxville. And he stayed up there a long time between yeah. all the mask yeah. gimmicks and just working without the hood. He was he was over there a long time. He all said. I can remember the name of Lorenzo Parente, but I also remember it with him as a having a primary tag team partner. Do you remember who you remember who the guys was it whose main tag Bobby team partner? Hart. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, they were the, they were called the Continental Warriors. They, they yes, worked uh, for Nick Hart and then they yes. worked uh they worked out there for, for uh Leroy McGurk for a couple of years too. And Bobby Hart was uh he and Frankie Kane were one of the many versions of of uh, Mephisto and, and Dante um, under the mask, both in in Tennessee and in Florida. And then you know Frankie took the mask off and became the great Mephisto and was doing the, the Arab gimmick. Um, and the first territory he did that in was in Mobile in February 1970. Um, the uh, Mephisto and Dante had lost lost their mask in Florida in January of 70, and, and they split up, and Hart went back to Tennessee. And uh, I don't know if he did any more mask gimmicks up there or not, but I know he was he and Frankie did the uh, Mephisto and Dante up there. And then uh, later on, uh, Bobby Hart and uh, Bob Griffin were the Patriots. Under the mask, they worked in Mobile, and they worked in Florida, and they worked in Kansas City, and they worked in Amarillo as the Patriots. I wonder if he's still living, uh, As far as I know, uh, he was living somewhere in Pensacola. Yeah, I I got. Uh, a couple, been a couple of years or so, but I um, his daughter contacted me and said he was he was still living in in, uh, in Pensacola, but I didn't didn't know much more than that. She gave me some information on him that 
from our website, but that was about it. Who is this? Bob Griffin. Well, Bob he Griffin. came to Mobile a couple of years ago. Did he? Yeah. Yeah. He came one time, and then, of course, he was he was telling so many wild tales about who he had whooped and who he did and who he, you know. That's and, right. Uh, that was one of the times. That was after yeah. the when I was sick, I wasn't able to make it down there. I remember you telling me about and that. I, and I, you know, I just did. He was a. Uh, he, he tried to be funny in the ring, and you know, I mean, he he, was, you know, I just I wasn't impressed. But that was, he was all right. I mean. So, well, I remember one time I made a trip with him when he came in here. I rode with him somewhere. He asked me to, you know, we were talking. He said, well, ride with me. And he had an Oldsmobile 98, and he had just come from Oklahoma. And uh, he had took this Oldsmobile 98, and he had put a uh, 75 or 100-gallon gas tank in the trunk of his car. <laughs> and he would fill that thing up, and he said he did that because so that when he was making those trips out there, he didn't have to stop. And he would, uh, he, he put a switch on it, just like, uh, you know, where you can switch for, for or, no, 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 let me rephrase that. He didn't put a switch on it. He put a, an electric fuel pump in that tank in the trunk, and when the, when the gauge would start getting low on the regular tank, he'd reach down and hit a switch in his car, and he'd turn that fuel pump on, and it would pump fuel back into the regular tank. I mean, it was pretty pretty ingenious little deal. Other than I was always worried if we got hit from behind by a tractor trailer, or something, <laughs> you know, we were going to look like a Roman candle. Did the did the car have a back seat in it, Bobby? Yeah, it had a back seat. It was just the way that it was made into the trunk. Those ninety eights had pretty good sized trunks, and he had it uh, he had it made back there. Those ninety eight Oldsmobile had big trunks. Yeah, they were nice cars. I had a few of them. That's what everybody drove when it bought me. Well, everybody, Smitty drove, Smitty thought he had a 98. Smitty drove the urinate. Just fizz around town, man. Just fizz around town, yeah. Yeah. No, the 98 was, it was the same car as the Cadillac Coupe DeVille. It was the exact same car, other than one was an Oldsmobile and one was a Cadillac, and uh, the the Oldsmobile was about, I guess, seven eight thousand dollars cheaper. But it was the same car, it had all the same bells and whistles, and it was. Uh, I always wanted one, and uh, I never I never got one. But I always that was something I always worked toward was that was that ninety eight because uh, that was a heck of a ride. Now you're on the now on a Lincoln Town car, they don't make him anymore either. Yeah, they do. Well, they're they're, they're starting to make them again, but that's okay. I I'm driving yeah. a Kia Soul. I'll just keep watering it and hope it grows into one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Well, besides Bill Bowman and Fred Blassie, huh? And did any of the other boys sell cars? <sighs> Those are the only I, two I remember. I did for a week. A now week. Still have you new. Were you giving too good of deals and they had to let you go, Charlie? Yeah. <laughs> you had to be there at 8 o'clock in the morning and stay there at 8 o'clock at night. Well, that, that, that killed you right there. Got that right. I told well, you, Jack. 
I just say Bill, Bill was very successful selling cars up here for a long time. He was general manager, wasn't he? Yeah. I, mean, one, I was going to say, one time he was general manager. Yeah. Was he out of the wrestling business then? Yeah, after he quit, he went to selling cars. He went to work for Bob Maddox Chrysler Plymouth. That's where he where he was out there on Forest Parkway. That's right. I remember somebody telling me they saw him there one day. And yeah, that's they said, where he was. Wasn't that the wasn't that the guy that was the the wrestler? And I said, what was his name? And that yes, you're right. I, I I never saw him there, but I do remember someone mentioning that. Yeah, I used to go by and see him sometimes there. He was uh. And Ann was Ann was managing the Brentwood Manor Apartments down on Old Dixie. That's where they lived. Two five people. Did did uh, Joe ever live here? Other than their runs here? Yeah. Other uh, uh, no no. Just when he was, when they were working here. Did he pedal stuff on the street? But no. Tell me, no. Joe comes from a long line of peddlers. <laughs> he, no, he didn't. Uh, I don't think he ever did that here. Joe was the only guy I ever knew in the business that had a motorhome he traveled in. Duke Miller traveled in a motorhome. But I don't know if he ever worked here. Jerry Miller? Uh, don't remember. Name's not familiar. As, as he, may worked, he may have worked here as in the 70s. Here. I mean, in the 60s, but when he was Jerry Miller before he became Duke Miller. But when he was in the Mobile Territory, and he was in Mobile pretty much full time from the end of 73 until the end of 76, he lived, uh, he had a motor home. That's where he lived. He, he, he well, Joe didn't live in his, he just traveled in it. Well, Duke lived in his. Had a little, little white Samoyed dog, and it was just him and that dog, and they traveled all over the, wherever, whatever territory he was going to, you know, whatever sit town he was going to in, in the territory. Well, gas was a lot cheaper back then, so I guess you could get away with that. But He told me, you know, he denied it, but they had a midget in Savannah. Uh-huh, I heard that story, too. Yes, sir. He always denied it. I said, I said, go in the in the uh, RV. Yeah, he told me. I've heard that story too. He denied it, though. Funny, funny thing, Joe would tell these stories. I mean, we all know if you were ever around Joe Turner. Joe Turner, he he just he was he was one of the funniest human beings I've ever been around. But he'd always start these stories. He'd be talking about this good-looking girl that they seen, or this good-looking girl they had, or this good-looking girl. So we were sitting in the room one night, my mobile ran, and said, Joe, hey, stop, stop. He said, Joe, he said, how about telling us some stories about some of those ugly women y'all were with? <laughs> 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 oh, God. Yeah, Randy don't chime in too often, but every once in a while he's got a little jewel in the rough there. He that, but that was a good one. But I tell you, you know, you go to you go to Mobile on Wednesday. The first person to meet you was Joe Turner, wasn't he, Bobby? He was standing yes, there sir. waiting on us when we got there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We were. Uh, <clears throat> we went to the church. Here again, this is a story that you know we we were sitting. 
we were sitting in the room one night. Me and Rocket were staying. We were rooming together, and Bill and Joe had been in there, and of course they'd been telling tales. And finally, Joe said, "Well, I got to walk up the, the the hall here or up the street. I'll be back in a few minutes." Well, he turned around. He he went out the door. Well, Bill said, "Hey," he said, "When he comes back, he said, ask him about the new car and driving it into the canal in Tampa." So. <laughs> So we were sitting there, and this probably, you know, Bill, Bill had left, and people was coming and going. Finally, Joe come back down there, and it was, there wasn't nobody in the room but me and Joe and Rocket. And Rocket was sitting over in the corner, and I was laying across the bed, and Joe says, and Joe says, well, let me tell you all this story about this girl. And, and Rocket said, wait a minute. He said, we want to hear the story about you wrecking your new car, driving it into the canal in Tampa. That is the only time. In all the years I have known Joe Turner, he was speechless. <laughs> he could not <laughs> say a word. He was like, uh, 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 and he finally got out. How'd y'all know about that? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was, what a funny guy he was. I can imagine what it was like riding up and down the road with those two. Oh, and, then you, and then you throw Jerry Graham in the mix. Oh, I couldn't imagine that. Well, I've got, I've made Mike a copy. They did, uh, back when we first started doing the show, uh, or I don't know, we may have been doing it a while, but they did three weeks with us. And, Bowman uh, and Turner. Bowman yeah. and Turner, they did three straight weeks with us. And I, I am so blessed, I downloaded those shows and had them on a CD. And, uh, I got one too. I've listened to. I mean, I, every once in a while, I'll just play them. They are. They are. I've heard those stories over and over. They are so funny, and uh, I miss those guys so bad. Yeah. <laughs> hey, when it was in the nursing we all went out there to see him about seven of us. Man, his eyes lit up like everything. He cried like a baby, didn't he, Bobby? Yep. Yep. Last time we saw him, we were we all went over and stayed about three hours with him. We had to, he, they came up one time for one of our get-togethers uh, when we were down at, when it was down at Faith there in College Park. Him and, uh, him and Joe and Bill came up and had lunch with us and spent the afternoon with us. I, I've got a picture hanging in my study at church of me and those two guys that we made that day. And uh, it's, uh, as I, every year I get a little older, those pictures mean more and more to me. And uh, just wish I'd been smart enough years ago to keep a bunch of pictures. But like everybody else, you didn't think it was going to end. And if you took a camera in a dressing room, they thought you was a mark. So, you know, you just didn't do it. I have. I got a lot of pictures. I got of Charlie Smith? Pictures. Yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got group pictures. About the second, from the second one on the... Uh, when we uh, used to, everybody used to take one group picture together. I looked at it the other day, one of them, I counted 30 people is deceased in one picture. Yep. I've got, I've got a copy of the, uh, here. the first one that we we had made, the first get-together we did at Faith and had a picture made, and, and there's four or five in that picture that are gone. Same one Bobby's got hanging in the office at yeah. church. Yeah. 
And I've got I've, I've still got to get a frame for it, but Bobby gave me a picture. Uh, I guess it was the last Ted Allen reunion. It's, it's uh, Bobby and Debbie, myself, Bill Bowman. And Debbie's gone, Bill's gone, and half of me is gone <laughs> from that picture. So yeah. Uh, Kelly's in that picture too, isn't he? Yeah, that's right. Kelly and, and Chris are both in that picture. Both in that both picture, gone, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when y'all went back to the hotel, and Bill had a heart attack or something, yep. didn't he? Yep, sure is. Yep. Yep. I'm wondering why why Soto wasn't in that picture. Cause Soto was there because it was Bill Soto and I at the hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Soto and I had a room, and Bill had a room. Yeah, Bill Soto, Soto didn't want to be seen by many. He was afraid some of his children would show up. <laughs> no, it's, Charlie had that that big girl talk. Ask him if it was his. his when he was Roberto Soto. He, he kind of hid after that. They go and ask that guy that Roberto Soto. Go and say, "Your name Roberto Soto." Soto says, "Yeah." She said, "Hello, Betty." <laughs> My mama says you my daddy. <laughs> yeah, that'd be enough to keep them away, that's for sure. Somebody sent me a message on Facebook the other day, said that, that he was a good friend of Roberto Soto's, and Soto talked about me all the time. And I said, well, you know, I sent him a message back and said, well, when's the last time you talked to him? Because... I've been trying to get in touch with him for the last two and a half years, and he never did message me back, so I don't know. Maybe it was but I uh, called so him, on a whim. I called his, his cell phone number the other day, and it's still his answer. You know, his voicemail still on there. It's still his voice. Yeah, but you know, I didn't he's leave living, don't you? Huh? He's living, he's living in Milton, Florida. Well, he, I know he was moving there, but, you know, that was before he disappeared. Yeah, that's where he disappeared to, sir. Yeah. I know they could be a fight. Milton is not that big a town. We could probably go find him. Yeah, yeah. You know, all uh, we got to do uh, is find the only gym in town because eventually he'll show up there. Yeah. Uh, well, who's that talking about a while ago with uh, Out of the Guard? What was his name? Uh, Radio uh, station guy. Oh, uh, in Mobile, at Mobile, at Reunion. Sergeant, Sergeant. Oh, Norman Frederick Charles. You know, he worked for the city of Milton. You know, he's retired from there. Yeah, he was a CSI. Yeah. Yeah. He was a what? He well, he he was a uh, did something to do with crime scenes. And he also had uh, did something with the waterworks there. Yeah. He retired from there. I bet he knows. I bet he's seen him around or something tonight. Well, I, the last I heard, uh, he and Ann were spending more time in England than, than in Florida. Of course, you know, he was – he had – Lung cancer, so I'm not even sure yeah. Norman's still with us. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I don't either. 
because if they were if if he they were in England if he passed away over there, I'm sure that's where he was where he stayed. But he was what a what a great guy he was, and Anne was such a sweet lady too. Yes, sir. A lot of guys have passed on that, that gentleman. Yep. Unfortunately. Did, uh, we, I don't know if, if you heard, I was talking about Jean Antone. Smith, did you have work with her? Yeah. I worked with her a couple of times. That's all I, I know. You know, Ray he, didn't like to book the girls, you know it? Yeah. It, I did my say, move us, Tony. He said, tell her I'm not here. <laughs> 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 what, Moolah, what you, was, didn't, uh, you didn't get away with just booking Moolah and one other girl. You had to book five or six so they could have a, a, a battle royal. Yeah. What was his problem with the girls, Charlie? I didn't, I didn't like the girls, you know. And he didn't like to book the world champion either, you know. That's because well, he, he had to give up pay. He had to pay... Uh, Booking me and paid the champ too, you know. They cut it, they cut it in his profit. Yeah, they McIntyre. They were two uh, tight gentlemen, sir. Let me tell you that. Hmm. You at home now, Charlie? You still in Panama City? I, I beg your pardon. I said, you at home now? Are you still in Panama City? I'm home now. I got home yesterday. Did you leave your hotel room the whole time you were down there? Hey, Martin. I said, did you even leave your hotel room the whole time you were down there? Well, I wore my bikini out on the beach. Oh, Lord. (laughs) I'm sure they called the hazmat unit out there then. (laughs) Probably shut the beach down. I have a question for Mr. Smith. Are you wearing your new hearing aids? I'm not right now. I got my. I keep wearing this and this, you know. Oh, okay. You know, you know, they're real good. Can you hear? I, I can hear the TV just as good as uh, anybody else. Okay, good. I, I can hear it any tone I want to. Oh, okay, well, good. Good. Let's make sure you have on on Saturday. Then. I just to say. Speaking I, of Saturday, what time are we? What time are we meeting up, Smitty? Bobby's at ten thirty. We're gonna leave Randy's about ten thirty, so I'll be at your place about nine thirty. Dad, well nine thirty, nine forty-five. Uh, are you right. talking to Scrappy? Bobby. Do what? Are you talking to Scrappy? No, sir. Tell him I will be at his place between nine fifteen and nine thirty. All right. I'll talk to him. I'll tell him that, sir. All right. Now, the final week, gentlemen, y'all want to go with me? Y'all want to go with me if we're going to uh, Dudley, Georgia? No, sir. I don't don't (laughs) see how that guy will make any money, you know it? Everybody better get their money up front there, hadn't they? I wouldn't drive down there for it. I know I told him, I said, now, but he asked me about it all said, he got to have his money up front. He said, no problem. He got to have a hotel room. He said, okay. Is this that big uh, combined show that's supposed to draw so many folks? No, this is some guys putting oh, on. That's right. 
that he's one's looked in about making, 87 people that ain't going to draw 15 cents uh, because nobody remembers them. All the people that all the people that remember Ole Anderson and Larry Zabisco and and Tom Tom uh, Pritchard and all these other people, <clears throat> they're all in homes and nursing homes <laughs> and uh, uh, you know. It, so I mean, seriously, I'm I'm not trying to be funny. These things don't draw. I mean, that guy in Charlotte's got that thing this weekend. He it gets the crowd gets smaller and smaller every year, and he just keeps spending all this money. I mean, I don't. Well, so I'm not sure you I told him first, Bobby. Well, there's another one. That's you, you know. It's not going to draw flies. But that big city That's one I was thinking of. Well, so they did another show in Charlotte this year. Yeah, it this weekend. Yeah, it's running right now. I haven't. Uh, you know, those shows usually would put out a lot of uh, publicity, and I had not seen anything on it. Well, so supposedly they're doing some some well, honorary thing. They're honoring Dusty Rhodes and uh, Wahoo McDaniel's wife. Yeah, but he wrote some old. That's the main thing this week. They Ross and Oli. Hmm. But you know what? He ain't paying no guys, you know it? They got sponsors paying them. I don't know. It ain't drawing so good. It's also good. You know that old thing. Well, I mean, I just... Hey, I hope he does well. I do. I just I, these sure. things are. You know, there was a thing here. I mean, this I don't know. This is probably a real bad way to equate this, but probably about five or six years ago, everybody in the world in the, that attended church or had anything to do with church, if they needed money or there was a cause or whatever, they would hold a quote unquote benefit singing, where they'd mm-hmm. get two or three groups to volunteer their talents to come in and sing. And then they would sell hot dogs, hamburgers, take up an offering, do whatever, you know, try to raise money for whatever the cause was. So many people did this, people finally got benefited to death and they quit going. So now when there's a legitimate cause and you do need to raise raise money for somebody that's in the hospital or doesn't have insurance or whatever the case may be, people are so skeptical of it that it's like the guy on the side of the road will work for food. Yeah, right. So... Uh, you know, it's the same thing with these wrestling shows. They try to bring in these these top names from years ago to draw people. I just uh, unless you and were the pe- um, <laughs> and the people expect to to see what they look like when they were in their prime, you know, and and so it doesn't take many times to to see that they're not, and it either uh, pisses them off or it makes them realize how old they are. And, uh, you know, the time has gone on, and uh, you're not going to do, you know, you're going to get them once or twice, but that's going to be it. That's it. Well, I, I can guarantee all the people in, in Blakely, Georgia, they'll be they'll be happy because Charlie Smith is still his same sleek, pretty self that he was in 1943 or whenever it was you started. There's a lot more of him now. Yeah. <laughs> Got that right. Smitty weighs more than I do now. I never thought I'd say that, but Smitty weighs more than I do. 
Let me I let me know. give you this shot here. I don't know if Randy's made it home and he's listening or not, but <clears throat> Randy quit smoking. April this year was a was was a year ago that he quit smoking. Since the day he quit, he went to the doctor this week earlier this week. <laughs> Since he quit smoking, Randy has gained fifty one pounds. You're kidding? <laughs> no. Well, I guess I didn't look, look at him too closely at church the other day because he didn't look all that big to me. He looked the same as he always looked. Well, the doctor says the doctor says he's healthy. The doctor says he looks good. He said he was too skinny, you know, because Randy would smoke rather than eat. Well, now that trend has reversed. <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard a lot about people, some people that gain a lot of weight, you know, when they would quit smoking. But, uh, but yeah, he was underweight. But uh, it's been a while since I've seen him. I was going to say Smitty gained weight when he quit working, but he never worked, so. I quit smoking it all with it, George. That's when I started gaining weight. I gained 50 pounds. I told Louise, I said, the Draclin is shrinking up my clothes. <laughs> she said, no, they ain't your big fat ass. <laughs> it is. I weigh 219. Really? How about you weigh, Michael? I fluctuate between 208 and, and 214, depending on whether or not I've had my, my, my TPN IV the night before. I'm not sure what I weigh, but I've lost 26 pounds since Christmas, so really? I'm happy. That's good. Yep. Well, that's great, Bobby. That's great. It's coming I'm off bad, slowly, but it's coming off. Well, that's fantastic. Well, when, it, when it comes off slowly, they generally assign that it'll stay off. That's correct. You probably lost some weight going to well, went to Mount Rushmore, didn't you? No, I, I ate what I wanted to. I just, you know, it, it just, I'm just, uh, I don't, I don't eat near as much as I used to, and. I'm trying to be more conscious of what I eat, so. Right. Oh, I, I speaking of Mount Rushmore, I have bad news for you fellas. My former, oh. my former wife and and my step husband in law, uh, <laughs> are are in uh, up that way now, and they went to Mount Rushmore last week, and and uh, they've taken the faces down of Smitty, Randy, and, oh, no. and Bobby, and put the other ones back up. Move them back oh, up. No. <laughs> oh well. Oh no. What a bad mistake they made. <laughs> they should have left us a picture there. Well, I tell I'm you what, they that that concession stand there. The cheapest T-shirt they have was thirty dollars, wasn't it, Bobby? I didn't pay for twenty for mine. Oh, you got one that real cheap. They have to be expensive ones there, though. Well, she, uh, she, she called me and said, or sent me a text message and said that they were going to uh, had planned to go see uh, Crazy Horse. I said, don't. I said, I told Save that your you guys, money. You, you guys what? had just come from there and that that you had to pay just to get in the the park. You itself, can see it from the highway again, <laughs> and you had to pay again to ride on a bus with no air conditioning. You can see it from the highway. Uh, Yeah, I would. I would not recommend paying to go up in there. No, so they they didn't do that. 
I bought a set of uh, we were when we were out there. Of course, we went to gift shops. We looked around. Well, they had a set of salt and pepper shakers. That is uh, the the faces of the. It looks like Mount Rushmore. I don't know. They're about two inches tall, and they're you know maybe two inches wide a piece. So uh, you put the salt and pepper shaker together, and it looks like Mount Rushmore. So we were we were in the in the, uh, in the souvenir uh-huh. shop out there, and the, you know. They wanted like twenty nine dollars for these things, and I thought, well, that's that's crazy, you know. So on the way home, we stopped at a Cracker Barrel to eat one night, and uh, I always I always go over to the to the fifty percent off section whenever I go to Cracker Barrel just to see what they got marked down, and I went over there and found these same salt and pepper shakers for four dollars. <laughs> so I bought a set, and I told Randy, I said, here, you want a set of these? He said, I ain't giving $29 for him. I said, no, that's $4. So Saturday morning when we were we stopped eating breakfast, we had about a 15-minute wait. I walked over to the half, and there they are. They still had them for $4. So Somebody must have bought them at full price at the other place and uh, decided uh, it wasn't such a great buy, and they were upset about it, and all they could get was $4. Who knows? Oh, jeez. It's amazing. Yeah, that we went in one little store there, not right at the mountain, but down to little little town there at the bottom of the hill. I forget what the name of it is, but there's a little town there, and it's all it is is a, it's sort of like hell in Georgia. Every place there is a tourist trap. But we went in this. We were looking around, and I I, I couldn't believe kids shirts were like twenty five dollars. I thought this wow. is crazy. Well, by the end of the month, I'll have a. Uh, shirt from Cambodia. My, Who's my in daughter, Cambodia? My daughter is in Phnom Penh right now. Why? Just something to do. No, she's got a she's got a a friend that lives over there and uh, is a, with the Peace Corps. Oh, okay. And so she's over there visiting her and and going on. She's going on a uh, an elephant tour and all kind of other stuff. She's been to the palace. In Phnom Penh, but she uh, she left last she left Monday, and her flight her initial flight out of Atlanta was delayed three hours, so she missed her connection in San Francisco. But luckily, she was able to get another flight in San Francisco, and it wasn't her layover wasn't as long. She flew from San Francisco to Seoul, Korea, and uh, she's got another friend that lives in Seoul, Korea, who met her at the airport, and and uh, had dinner with her there at the airport. Then she got on a flight to Phnom Penh, and that's where she is. Hmm. How long did she take to fly, Mike? She left here. Her flight was originally supposed to be at 5.30. She ended up leaving here about 8.30. Um, she got to San Francisco... I want to say 1.30 or so, Atlanta time, and then it was a 10-hour flight from there to Seoul, Korea, and then I don't know how long the flight was from Korea to Phnom Penh, but she was, she was on the airplane about 20 hours, or traveling about 20 hours. Mm-mm-mm. She's going to be over there for three weeks. Well, gentlemen, I must congratulate everyone. I never thought when we started tonight that uh, we could have made it uh, two hours based on the uh, beginning of our conversation. But uh, 
uh, we're down to about four and a half minutes, so I think we're going to make the two hours, Mike. Anybody got any Jay, you ought to come go with us down to go to Blakely. Uh, you're go- that's just, you're going this weekend, right? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's uh, this uh, this weekend is my. Put on the uniform weekend for a oh, few more. Drill. Yeah. What do you guys do when you go do that? Oh, we're well, we're the headquarters there, and uh, you know we've got uh, four brigades, four brigades throughout the state. And uh, you know, so the the G1 through three, four, are all located there at the uh, National Guard uh, headquarters building there. And uh, basically, we you know do all the operations that it takes to make sure that our folks can do what they have to do. And uh, the only thing that we don't do that the only thing that we don't do that the guard does is. We don't carry weapons, and we don't get paid. Other than that, pretty much uh, on a state level, we're we're trained to do any type of state state mission that uh, is necessary from hurricane on down. And as a matter of fact, we can do it better than a lot of units that get paid because we can be there quicker. The the biggest thing with the National Guard uh, logistically for them, uh, since most of their money's federal, is figuring out who's going to pay them if they have to get called out at some kind of state mission. And uh, that's that's where we come in very well because as volunteers, we they don't have to worry about where, who's going to cut the check. Which National Guard headquarters? Where's your building at that you go to? Uh, uh, building 30 at the Clay National Guard Center. Oh, okay. Okay. Big 447 is the... 447 is the National Guard's headquarters there on the Clay National Guard Center. The, you know, oh, that's okay. where the Adjutant General is located. Okay. All that moved over okay. from Confederate <laughs> Avenue many, several years ago. We're down to two minutes. Anybody got any uh, last-minute uh, wrestling info that they've just got to get out? Or any other info? Not me. commission on those, by the way. <laughs> I tell Bobby and Nate that uh, when we sell one of the pictures in Las Vegas, I said, better buy a hot dog for you. Sell a picture for $5, and we autograph it, and I go buy two hot dogs. <laughs> Last of the big spenders. Oh, man. Diamond Jim Smith. Yeah. <sighs> All right, Mike. Sorry, I missed that, Charlie. I said, Michael, got to go with us one day to Las Vegas. One of these days. Yeah. As soon as you buy me an airplane ticket, Smitty, I'll go. There you go. You got the, sir. You're All right, guys. Well, thanks. 
thank you guys very much, and we'll uh, we'll get together next week, and uh, hopefully Jerry will be back with us, and uh, we'll, we'll take it from there and see what else we can talk about. Sounds thank good. You. Enjoy, you guys. All good right, night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everybody. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.